Hello, Marvelites! You're listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 592. I'm Ryan Panagos, aka Agent M. And I'm the Queen of Snow! Uh, Lorraine said hi. Elsa! <laughs> it's me! Let it go. Let it go. The number of times I've heard my daughter yell, Elsa! And I'm supposed <laughs> to be Anna, but I haven't been told I'm supposed to be Anna. Or I'm supposed to be Elsa. Or the other day we were playing in the backyard... And we were playing Doc Ock captures Elsa, brings her to her lair, and then Anna has to save her. And it's like, the, that girl, three and a half years old, improvs games and <laughs> stories on, like on a dime. And I have no idea what she's doing half the time. I'm doing my best to keep up. She is a very creative little one. I'm here for the team up. One of my favorite commissions of all time is when Chris Anka gave me a drawing of Elsa and Iceman falling in love that I requested, and I I have zero regrets about it. I love it. That's fantastic. (laughs) Uh, But we are not here to talk about Marvel Disney mashups. No, this is the official Marvel podcast where we talk about what's happening this week in Marvel, whether it's games, comics, movies, TV, or whatever we're excited about. And this week, we're talking with Camille Friend and Joel Harlow, the Oscar-nominated hair and makeup heads from Marvel Studios' Black Panther Wakanda Forever. I feel really fortunate that we did this movie, that we gave honor to Chad, but then, you know, we have so many great new characters that we got to even explore their origin stories from, you know, the Talek Keneal and a couple other characters. We got to really open up a whole new world of Marvel, and that's always fun for us. Stick around for more of that later on in the show. But Ryan, we got a big week of news, and I think you should kick us off because, frankly, it's about your favorite best boy. Yes. Most importantly, MODOK gets an official poster for Marvel Studios <laughs> Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, a.k.a. MODOK's big day. Yes, wow. uh, it is tremendous. Posters were released for Veb, Gentora, Quaz, Furry Face, Broccoli Guy, and Zolom. I love that they were just like, you know what? We're calling him Furry Face. We're calling that one Broccoli Guy. It fits. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> I love Veb. Also, Veb the Bev, as I like to call him. Oh. We love Veb. Yeah, played by David uh, Dasmalchen. Mm-hmm. So good. So funny. It, look, if you've not seen the film yet, you're doing your life wrong. Go watch the movie because the joke about holes. So good. And Modoc. You need to know all about Modoc in the MCU. Of course, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is still in theaters now. We'll be talking a little bit more about spoilers later in our community section. So put on your big people pants and get ready for some spoiling. Yeah, you're welcome. Also, there's a really cute interview with Ruben Rabasa, who plays the barista in the film. You might know him from that show, I Think You Should Leave, which is phenomenal. And there's some great memes based on his appearance there. But also, we found out that his line about spider-man you know the one if you've seen the film was improvised yeah it was so good let's hear from ruben now i thought it was somebody else i thought it was the spider-man so when everybody say when i say thank you spider-man everybody go what what did he say i said what are they laughing about i I thought i was doing the right thing no i made a mistake i (laughs) say something oh my god well maybe i'm from cuba that's what the problem is i don't know too much about (laughs) spider-man About the little man and the ant man and all that is too many, too many. I, I love it. I love it. <laughs> so, so good. Also, just a huge week for Marvel Studios and the entire cast and creative team of Marvel Studios Black Panther Wakanda Forever with 10 
count them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten wins for the NAACP Image Awards. I mean, holy smokes, this list is insane. Outstanding Motion Picture, Angela Bassett won for Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Motion Picture. Tenach Huerta for Outstanding Supporting Actor in a Motion Picture, Outstanding Ensemble Cast, Ryan Coogler and Joe Robert Cole for Outstanding Writing in a Motion Picture, Camille Friend, for, who we're about to talk to later on in the show, for Outstanding Hairstyling, Ruth E. Carter for Outstanding Costume Design, Rihanna for Outstanding Music Video slash Visual Album for Lift Me Up, and then Ryan Coogler, Ludwig Gordonson, Archie Davis, and David Jordan also won the award for Outstanding Soundtrack slash Compilation Album, which if you haven't listened to, is phenomenal. Thames also won for Outstanding International Song for No Woman, No Cry. And also there's a really phenomenal moment when Angela Bassett uh, won the award. And not only did she say Angela Bassett did the thing, <laughs> which gave me the biggest tickle. Um, she said this really wonderful thing, which was gratitude is the universe's way of saying that we are not existing in this world alone. We have each other. And then she went on to talk about director Ryan Coogler. And she said, who showed us that we are royalty and he built the crown for us all to wear, which is just such a beautiful sentiment. She's such a queen on screen and off. Of course, you folks can check out Black Panther with Conda forever. It's now available to watch on Disney Plus and available to purchase on a variety of formats. Also, hot tip, the first episode of Marvel's Voices Rising, the music of Wakanda forever, is now on Disney Plus with the next two episodes in subsequent weeks. You're welcome. Go check it out. Very, very cool. Lorraine, news that took the world by storm recently is that Rogers, the musical, is coming to <laughs> Disneyland Resort. Uh, honestly, it's so perfect. It gives me such tickles. <laughs> Starting this summer for a limited time engagement, a short one-act version of Rogers the Musical will debut at the Hyperion stage inside California Adventure Park. More details will be announced at a later date, but Disney Parks shared a small tease of what's to come when the Avengers step into the spotlight. There was a great little promo video with Peggy Carter mm-hmm. with the uh, the playbill. It was, so good. Of course, it's the fictitious musical all about the life of Steve Rogers, the first Captain America, and it first debuted in Disney Plus's original series, Marvel Studios Hawkeye. In the show, the Avengers are invited to New York for the premiere of this brand new show-stopping musical, but only Clint Barton, aka Hawkeye, shows up, and we get to see a little <laughs> bit. We get a like a tear-down-the-house number, um, so knowing what a little bit of what we have in store, we gotta go. We got to go. I love it, too, because I I hope everyone has watched Hawkeye by now because it's so funny and so delightful and it's such a great series. If you want a preview, I believe it's in the very first episode of the series, Mm -hmm. so go check it out. But there's so many funny little things about it where they're like, that guy wasn't even at the Battle of New York. (laughs) And now at some point, Clint just turns off his hearing aid because he does does not want to listen to the musical anymore. I think Ant-Man is in there. Yeah, Ant-Man is in there and (laughs) he was not there. (laughs) Tremendous, tremendous stuff. Uh, so, look, if we don't get to go, I need a report from someone. One of our listeners, surely one of you out there will be able to experience this this summer. Let us know. Yeah. Also, if you're, you know, just looking for some more information as you're looking into the future of, I don't know, maybe what's coming up in the next couple of months and you're like, who's this high evolutionary guy? Just a hot tip for you folks. 
There is a new episode of You Don't Know featuring the High Evolutionary. It's available on Marvel.com and the Marvel YouTube channel going into his backstory and a little bit about who this man of mystery is. And the short answer is he's a guy who loves genetic (laughs) modification, baby. (laughs) He's like, what if I made a human-animal hybrid? Bang, bang, let's go. Definitely check out the You Don't Know, the High Evolutionary on Marvel.com and our YouTube. Also, this week... Maybe maybe you're excited about High Evolutionary. Maybe you're excited about a Star Wars Ooh. because, of course, Mandalorian Season 3 started this week on Disney+, Plus, which is very exciting, very cool. But you want more Star Wars? Marvel Unlimited has hundreds of issues of Star Wars, but also your local comic shop has five, count them, five new Star Wars comics on sale this week. Some really good stuff. There's a series called Star Wars Hidden Empire, which is just crazy good it sort of pulls in threads from a whole bunch of things it's got kira who first appeared in the han solo film and she's been like trying to stop the sith and so it's really coming to a head it opens up with vader and the emperor sparring and uh the emperor is like you got nothing i don't have to worry about you and then he like takes this hard hard diss on darth maul which i was like ooh. Ooh, he's a catty one. It was really good. It's a really good issue. Um, check those out. There's an issue of Mandalorian out this week because we do comics based on the Mandalorian series. So much more. Go see a Star War and enjoy some comics. Yay. Oh, Grogu. It's time. Yay. Also, if you want some comic bookie goodness, what if... Sure, there are a few characters in those, but what if we put 700 comic book characters right into the time stream? (laughs) Scott Koblish has just done an incredible job. He's a a beast. Hmm? It is over two covers. It's a wraparound connecting cover for two issues for May's Fantastic Four number seven and June's Fantastic Four number eight, which all makes sense because we are celebrating the 700th issue of Fantastic Four this summer, which is really, really awesome. It is incredible. If you haven't gotten to check it out, it's on Marvel.com or you can check it out on Marvel Social. It looks phenomenal. It's like a Where's Waldo of Who's Who of Fantastic Fantastics. So definitely go check it out. And go check out Scott's incredible array of work on Deadpool, some X-Men stuff and more. He's been doing amazing stuff for like 30 years and is just excellent. So go enjoy and go check out that cover. It's really fun, honestly, to be like, okay, how many can you name? Who do you know? Where are they from? It's just awesome. Yeah, it's all the characters have appeared in Fantastic Four before. But something else you should check out is Titan Books' new collector's edition series of art books, which is very cool. So, you know, for years and years and years, we've been putting out these art of books for the MCU. Now, Marvel Studios is collaborating with Titan Books to mark the 15th anniversary. Jeez, my goodness. 15th (laughs) anniversary of the birth of the MCU and the Infinity Saga. And they're reissuing revised collector's edition set of all 24 art books originally published to accompany the movies, starting with Marvel Studios' Iron Man, of course, the one that started it all. The books will be reissued in the same order that they were originally published, starting with Iron Man, The Art of the Movie, which is coming out in June, and then eventually, eventually finishing with Avengers Endgame, The Art of the Movie, in 2025. I love that Like we're planning this out for the next two years, two and a half years, going full steam ahead. This year, you know, June, July, and August, we're getting Iron Man, Iron Man 2, and Thor. If you want to know, like, 
the making of the MCU. And, you know, Lorraine and I get to talk mm. to the, the visual effects people and the visual development people all the time. Sometimes we share those interviews with you here. This is really getting to see that work and the thought and the love and the process. I was just going through the WandaVision one for another project and just looking at like even the little things of how they thought about Agatha's brooch and mm. the design for that and how they they came to the decision of having the three witches there and all this other stuff. It's just it's really incredible stuff. So get excited. Titan Books is starting to re-release all those MCU art of books starting in June. Yeah. If you missed the first time around, you definitely want to get them. They're so cool. Mm -hmm. All right. We've also got some really great stuff coming for some of the younger ones. The Marvel Super Stories are here. It's the first ever middle grade anthology from Marvel Comics featuring all new comic stories from 15 all-star cartoonists. It's on sale this fall in October, October 17th from Abrams Amulet. You know, it's all your favorite Marvel superheroes in uh, six-page stories written and illustrated by some of the biggest names in comics for young readers. It's edited by John Jennings and super excited to have him on this book. There's a ton of great stories about Black Panther, Wiccan, Miles Morales, Iron Man, Shang-Chi, the Hulk, Spider-Man, Captain America, Hawkeye, just a, a whole, 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 whole bunch um, with some incredible talent attached. So definitely if you've got a kiddo in the middle grade space, or maybe if they're even reading a little bit ahead... Definitely go and pick this up this fall from Abrams Amulet. There's a an age where these are like the superstars. These are the books that the kids are reading all the time. Mm -hmm. So it's cool to marry all these great creators with the Marvel characters. This is going to be super terrific. Also super terrific, Lorraine. We're getting a new Black Panther comic book series mm -hmm. starting this summer. And it is written by Eve L. Ewing, which is very exciting new solo ongoing series by writer eve ewing who is currently also doing monica rambo photon who had done ironheart previously and marvel stormbreaker artist chris allen he just did a, a couple of variant covers that really like knocked my socks off so i can't wait to see him get back into a monthly book here cover here by torrent clark who's a, a good pal um, this is going to be a good one the sort of vibe here is banished from the throne and a fugitive in his own homelands T'Challa still can't leave Wakanda without its sworn protector. A king without a crown, he finds new purpose lurking the streets and shadows of the Wakandan city that bears his father's name, Burnin T'Chaka. And so if you've been reading the current Black Panther series, T'Challa done made a lot of mistakes. He yeah. pissed off everyone. He has gotten himself exiled and pulled away. He's still Black Panther. He still wants to protect people, but... He's not the king anymore. And there's a whole lot of going on. The current series written by John Ridley wraps next week. The final issue is so freaking good. It's a really great comic and it's leading into what we're going to see in this new Black Panther series. And he's got a new costume, a new look. I'm excited. I'm super excited. Definitely looking forward to that. Um, I'm also looking forward to, you know, we do some really great variant programs and things here at Marvel. Um, but I just wanted to call this one out because I think it's particularly cool you know the corner boxes that we see in the old school comics with like sometimes they have little faces in them and stuff there's going to be some marvel corner box variants they're so cute and i love them like i just think they're a phenomenal variant they're by mark brooks who is slaying the game he's so talented the first two are going to be on sale this may celebrating of course the 60th anniversaries of both the avengers and the x-men this mm -hmm. year so definitely go and check those out. You can check out over on marvel.com the 
covers for Avengers number one and X-Men number 22 featuring those corner box variants. And they are so good. And look out for more throughout 2023. There are going to be more of these. They're so cool. I just, it makes my little heart happy. Yeah. Love the old school vibe. So for our 25th anniversary in 1986, we had a series of covers, a sort of cover style over that the summer where we had the characters lining the border of the comics. Mm. If you know it, you know it. If not, go look for a Marvel comic from 1986. You'll find the covers. But one of our artists, Ryan Gonzalez, she did a variant in that style recently, but she draws like chibi, really oh, cute, yeah. <laughs> very like pastel colors. It just knocked my socks off. I love the retro throwback stuff like this. It is just, it's terrific. All right, let's talk about some podcasty stuff because we've got episode two of Marvel's Voices new season out this week. In this episode, Angelique Roche, you might have heard her last week on the show. She talks to two of the creators from Marvel's Voices Wakanda Forever, the big anthology issue that just came out, Dr. Sheena Howard and journalist Adam Serwer. Episodes are out every Thursday on the SiriusXM app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. Speaking of podcasts, Ryan, what's going on Marvel's pull list this week? Yeah, we've got, uh, of course, our picks of the week for our favorite comics to check out. Captain America Sentinel of Liberty number 10, which has got a ton of Modoki goodness. So, of course, I had to pick that. Then Star Wars Hidden Empire number four, which I talked about already a bit. If you want to hear more about it, go check out the podcast. And Venom number 17, which is a really great issue of Venom. So that's all really great issues to check out. And then we will tell you about all the other books that are on sale this week. And then for our reading club, where we dip into something on Marvel Unlimited and talk about it with someone cool. We have two someone's cools. Two, two someone's <laughs> yep, cools. Perfect. Yeah. Yep, yep. Uh, writer Mirua Ayadale and artist Dota Nakande, who... Uh, we've had on the show on Marvel's pull list before they are the writer artist team who did a story of Moon Knight, Black, White and Blood have done some Avengers Unlimited Infinity comic work and now have a brand new series called I Am Iron Man that they're working on. And they wanted to not talk about Iron Man. They wanted to talk about Doctor Strange, the best defense, which is so freaking good i forgot how damn good that comic book is holy moly if you've not heard mirwa and doton talk about comics they're great they're from nigeria and they have like a really cool perspective of how they're able to like read them and get exposed to them and their influences and just their unabashed love for comics and marvel is infectious so go check all that out on marvel's pull list new episodes every tuesday listen on the sirius xm app apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts yeah 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 all right coming up soon we have our chat with camille friend and joel harlow the oscar nominated hair and makeup heads from marvel studios black panther wakanda forever yeah we'll be right back All right, we're back, and you're listening to This Week of Marvel. I'm Lorraine Sink. I'm Ryan Panagos. And we got to keep this train rolling because we have our interview for this week. It is a real fun one with Camille Friend and Joel Harlow, who are, again, the Oscar-nominated hair and makeup heads from Marvel Studios' Black Panther Wakanda forever. Got to chat with them and just talk about sort of their influences, their connection to comics, how they got into doing Marvel stuff, some of the really cool behind-the-scenes things, and, and like just making the really incredible and iconic looks that they helped devise for the film and everything about it. You're going to hear it all right now. 
I am delighted to be joined by Camille Friend, who is the hair department head for Marvel Studios' Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Hello, Camille. Hello, Ryan. And Joe Harlow, who is the lead makeup designer and makeup department head for Marvel Studios' Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Hello, Joel. Hey, Ryan. How's it going? Great. First of all, congratulations on the Oscar nomination for Best Makeup and Hairstyling. Well deserved. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So I'd love to ask, what are your Marvel origin stories? What was it for each of you? Camille, let's uh, let's start with you. So you actually knew Marvel Studios co-president Louis Desposito before you started working on Marvel Studios projects, right? Right. One day I was watching TV and they were like, Marvel is coming to California. Like it's going to set up in LA. I was like, I want to do that. Like, I want to go to Marvel. <laughs> and literally, I ran into him in Beverly Hills shopping at Christmas time. And I said to him, I want to do a Marvel movie. He said, are you ready? I said, yes, I want to do a Marvel movie. He goes, I'm going to call you. And he called me. He called me for um, Captain America Winter Soldier. And then I came to work for Marvel seven movies later. Here I am. Like the kids say, I was like, I'm going to shoot my shot. Yeah. And that's what I did. Yeah. And here I am. Worked out for you. It worked out pretty good, Joel. <laughs> I love that story. Thank you, Camille, for sharing that. Joel, what was it for you? Well, I, I'm a, a child of the comic books. My sort of love story goes way back to, you know, when me and my family would drive to Colorado from North Dakota to spend, uh, you know, the Christmas holidays and then the summer break with my grandparents in Denver. And me and my dad would walk down Colfax Boulevard going into all these used bookstores and they typically have comic book sections. So that's what I gravitated towards. So I go way back to the source material. And it was all across the board. You know, it wasn't always Marvel, but what I did appreciate about Marvel was how they'd have the mythologies of these various characters and then they'd bring them all together. You know, so it would all kind of tie in so it just made the world that much bigger. And then the first real Marvel film I did was, you know, the first Black Panther. I'm still fairly new in, in the Marvel world, you know, but I'm glad to be here, definitely. Sure. Joel, you know, you, you had some of this knowledge coming in, but you came in a little bit later. And Camille, Camille, how much research did you start doing? How did you dive into the giant pool of material that we have for Marvel when you came on for Winter Soldier? Well, I have some secret weapons. So basically, I kind of went and I hung out at the comic book stores. And I just really started reading, buying books, like getting all the anthology books, reading them. And my secret weapon really is Sam Jackson. He knows a lot about the Marvel Universe. And I would call <laughs> and ask him questions and he would give me the answer. Plus, I have a nephew who is a Marvel aficionado. So I just call the children and ask them questions and they know all the answers. So now to all the children in my family, they all have all the thick Marvel books. I was like, you have to learn all of these for auntie. So when I ask you a character, like we test each other, asking a character, giving you an answer. Who is it? What do they do? What are they about? It's just fun. Yeah. Thinking about, obviously, you know, Joel, you mentioned your first film was Marvel Studios Black Panther and you, you both worked on that film. Now coming back for Black Panther Wakanda Forever, what was that like for each of you? Obviously, you know, there's so much been talked about how heavy that felt, but also how beautiful it was for everyone to come together. Uh, I would love to hear from each of you. What was it like to come back for this new film? I mean, it felt like coming home. Certainly there was a, a weight to the film, you know, because we had lost Chad. 
But very quickly, I think it started to feel, you know, again, like family. Even though the workload on this increased exponentially, I had a lot of my same makeup artists come back. So um, we just kind of fell right back into a groove. And, you know, working with Camille, you know, that relationship is very strong, you know, since the first film. So I think we kind of leaned on each other a bit to start designing the new characters. You know, certainly we had done a lot of work in the world of Wakanda for the first film. So all of that was still very relevant and, and very useful in sort of expanding Wakanda. But, you know, then we had Telecon and the Telecanil. You know, we were jumping into an entirely new world of characters. Um, it's always a great collaboration. So it felt good. You know, it was heartwarming. Camille, how about for you? I think, as Joel said, in the beginning of this movie was very difficult because I think everybody, we hadn't been together and Chad had passed and it's like, how are we going to make another movie? And I even asked Ryan, I was like, how are we making another movie? And that was actually really like the first couple of months were like difficult for me because I was still in my head about it. But I think it was good when we all went to Chadwick's, we went to his burial site. You know, Ryan and Nate Moore, they took us over there. And I think that was a good day of closure for all of us. And it really, I think, re-gelled us all. And then, you know, once we got back, it was back to work. And this is the sequel that probably might not have happened if it wasn't for Marvel. They could have scrapped it. I mean, when you lose your star, what do you do? So I feel really fortunate that we did this movie, that we gave honor to Chad. But then, you know, we have so many great new characters that we got to even explore their origin stories from, you know, the Talek Keneal and a couple other characters. We got to really open up a whole new world of Marvel. And that's always fun for us. Yeah. Well, let's talk about them a little bit. Joel, can you talk a bit about the makeup, the prosthetics that you created for the Talakanil, Namor's ears, that, that kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was uh, when they breach the surface of the water and, and their skin tone turns blue. Those days were definitely the most difficult because, you know, you've got very sort of scantily clad warriors in complete body makeup fighting in the water. So there's a lot of uh, abrading of the makeup, you know, the skin and the makeup. And then we've got these prosthetic pieces that live on their necks and on their face. There's gills on their neck. There's a, a prosthetic gasket that's got 11 colors in it to simulate jade and gold. Jade is not an easy thing to paint, you know, because it's got so many striations in it. But we had to paint all of these silicone pieces to look like jade because, you know, we couldn't use anything rigid because, you know, it's in the center of their face and they're talking and moving. And same with their necks, you know, probably the highest movement point on the body. But it, it was a lot of work. You know, it was a lot of very early days, you know, early in the morning. We'd start at 2.33 in the morning. And our stunt team, who I continue to take my hat off to came in at that time and you know we're all bundled up and you know because this is atlanta in the winter and it gets cold it's really cold so we're all bundled up and painting they were rolling paint on our stunt people and feeling guilty the whole time because you're so warm you know that they're going out and we're gonna have to spritz them with cold water and you know or warm water but it'll instantly turn cold and you know so i mean it's a lot of work in the morning and then it's a lot of work maintaining throughout the day because Jeff Bauman, who is our uh, VFX supervisor, did not have a long time on post. So anything we could correct in camera saved him having to go in and, and touch up, you know, areas where the blue had sort of worn away or 
or what have you after the fact. Yeah. I was listening to the Black Panther Wakanda Forever podcast that Tanahasi Coates hosts, and it came up that there were for the underwater scenes, there was filming done underwater and then out of the water. And for you, Camille, I imagine, you know, you're designing these amazing, the hair is incredible and all these different characters, especially for the Talakoneal. Do you go, oh God, they're going underwater. What am I? Okay, <laughs> fine. Well, initially, when we had our camera test, we really learned a lot about what we could do or what we couldn't do. So, you know, the first camera test, when they got in the water, the problem was we had product in the wigs. And all of a sudden, when they got in the water, it was a big white cloud of product came out. It's like, oh, great. And then keeping the hair up. So after the first camera test, Nate Moore looked at me, our executive producer was like, what are you going to do? I was like, don't worry, we're going to figure it out. That's why camera tests and all those things are really important. People don't know that we use camera tests. We use, you know, fit models who we can go in and we try pieces on. Joel had fit models that he put prosthetics on. We tried wigs on. All of these things we really like think about and work out before it even gets to camera. So, you know, once we figured out, okay, we can't put product, how do we keep the hair up? So we came out with basically a solution, which is spearmint gum, which is a glue that we use to put on wigs. And then we diluted it with alcohol and we made it like a hairspray. So we made basically like a glue hairspray to keep the hair in place. Also, you know, going in and sewing the hair down so it will stay up, adding rubber bands, adding all these components. So when they get in the water, the hair would still look really great. So that's kind of how we worked it because we just had so many people, hair pieces, wigs, and I'm going to say in Atlanta, probably all the jet black hair color that was on anybody's shelf, we probably bought it. <laughs> God bless you. Oh, my God. Oh my God. <laughs> but, you know, the thing that's great, we have a great crew and we came up with the solution. And, you know, and it was something that necessarily I wouldn't do all the time. But for this movie, it absolutely worked to maintain the look of the hair and keep it up and look pretty in the water. Because, you know, you don't want the hair going wah, wah, wah in the water. That's not yeah. cool. You know, also, I wanted to ask you about the Dora Milaje because that's a very important process. And I think it's a very personal thing for especially the actors who are the Dora. There were no bald caps used, right? No ball caps. I'll start because Joel really does the heavy lifting on the door. So basically what we do in the morning, the doors come to us first and we shave their heads. And I'll tell you, the big day when they first come in and their hair is long, I treat it as a very sacred day. We're not forcing anybody to do it. All the girls know. And then even there's some tears. You know, I'm here to hold your hand. We have on like nice music because, you know, it's a big deal for a woman to cut their hair off. But I think what I really found is with most of the ladies, they find it really empowering. Once they embrace it, they find it really, really empowering. And then we send them to makeup. Really, this is Joel. He does the heavy lifting on this. Yeah, I, I, you know, they're all very beautiful women with and without hair. And there is something about that look, you know, that shaved look that it's very striking. And I think in some cases, even more beautiful, mm -hmm. you know, because it's very, it's iconic, I think. Then, of course, you know, we had Denai, who has a very complex tattoo on her head that I had to apply, you know, on a daily basis. And on the first film, from a technical standpoint, that tattoo took roughly three and a half, four hours to do. 
So I knew the first thing that I wanted to do when I started Wakanda Forever was to readdress how that tattoo was applied. And because we had a scan of her from the first film that still had uh, in the scan, it, it, it was a color scan. So we had a representation of where the tattoo was. It allowed us to make a digital stencil printout that I would just put on her head and airbrush through as opposed to using you know, a traditional kind of tattoo transfer, which uses a lot of glue and requires shaving down to the skin. This way, we allowed for her to have just a little bit of stubble to avoid any kind of, you know, razor burn or irritation because everything was airbrushed on top of it. It ended up going on in about 35 minutes, coming off in about 10 minutes as opposed to an hour. No scrubbing, no abrading, which was entirely different than the first film. Hopefully, uh, it was a more pleasant experience for her than the first round, but still looked the same. It's got to be something great, though, for each of you and your teams to be on these projects as sequels or even within, you know, further Marvel movies, working with similar actors, working with similar processes, refining those and sort of leveling up and, and seeing the ways that you can make it easier, better. I imagine you're pulling things that you've learned in Wakanda Forever and, and bringing that over. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, you do that, I think, of any project. You know, anytime you face a challenge and find a solution, I think you put that in your bag of tricks, you know, so that the next project, if something like that comes up. I mean, if we had going into this, having done the, the film, if we were going into it fresh now, having that knowledge, we might do things a little differently. I mean, I know that there are some things that I would do differently, but I think all in all, you know, the whole thing is a learning experience and, and hopefully you make the best decisions because when you make a decision, it affects every other decision that comes after it. And it sort of comes, you come to a fork in the road. It's like, okay, do I go right or do I go left? And once you go right or left, then all your subsequent decisions are based on that because you can't always go backwards. Would love to hear about Queen Ramonda. Obviously, Angela Bassett, that's a blessing for anyone who gets to work with her on every single way possible. But can you tell me about you know how you approach working on Queen Ramonda? I mean, Angela Bassett, what can you say? She's a queen. She's really a queen. Even when you meet her, she's so royal. She's an actress I had never worked with before, Wakanda, and was really somebody who I wanted to work with. So I really went through and I looked at all her looks and I was like... What can I do that she hasn't done? Because, you know, how many movies has she done? 75, 100, 125? I don't know how many at this point. But, you know, she's done a lot of movies and she's played so many iconic roles. So I was like, what can I give her that she hasn't done? And so in the beginning on the first one, we talking to Ryan, we really talked about how about if she had locks? And his mother, I met his mother and Ryan Coogler's mother has beautiful long locks. And I was like, how about if we create locks for her? Like really long, beautiful, but keep them in light tones. Keep them, you know, silver, keep them platinum, keep them blonde. Really make her look like the goddess she is. So I went and I pitched it to Angie and she was kind of like, huh? I said, yep, I have this idea. I want to do these long locks. And I showed her pictures. And once we started talking about it, she goes, I think that would really be cool, Camille. So we talked about it. But for the camera test, we didn't have the wig built yet because the wig is a big build. It takes a long time. These are handmade locks. So we just had like this horrible 
horrible lock wig and basically the front of it was kind of gray and she was like this is ugly this color so literally I was like okay the back of it is lighter we turn the wig around and this is for the camera test we turn the wig around we put the light part forward and I was like I need like a wrap or a scarf so I just pinned it all up we put the wrap around it and that's how we got it approved and then after that I built the wig for it. So that's how the beginning of it started. Just like give you a little back history on the beginning of it. And of course, in the opening scene, she has on the original wig from the first Black Panther. But how we got to her look in this one is talking to Ryan, he really wanted Shuri and Ramonda to have like in West African culture, how people are in mourning and they shave their heads. So we're looking at how would they look a year after they had shaved their heads. So that's how we landed on the look that we had. So I wanted to keep her in the same color family, but I wanted to make her hair shorter. But I was like, what kind of style? So I started looking at the pictures of Ruth Carter, what she does with the hats. I was like, if I keep it, her hair in the same original color, but make her hair like a crown, I think it was something that would look really beautiful. And that's what we did. And here we are. Yeah. Joel, I'd love to hear about the makeup work that you and the team did for the ritual, the morning moments, those things, because, you know, even Shuri, as she's walking, she's got the veil sort of over her and she's got the, the subtle makeup. What were those discussions like with the rest of the team? That sort of spawned from Ruth's design work. She was on, you know, well in advance of myself. So she had done a lot of designs. And of course, the Marvel design team does a lot of designs, but that sort of white makeup is based on an ash makeup, a, a ritual makeup. And I thought that that sort of sea of, you know, everybody in celebration of the life of T'Challa was something that we wanted to, in our makeup decisions, we wanted to take the note from, you know, Ruth's designs, but also keep that continuity, you know, because we have, you know, for example, the river tribe, the tribe that has the plates in their lower lip. So for this sequence, we did, you know, there are five, six of those characters because they're a very long makeup process where we did the lips out of like a pearl inlay so that it was that white ash look, but would be a material that felt a little higher tech, a little more vibranium-esque. But yeah, really, it, it came from continuing that through line that Ruth was establishing in the wardrobe. Yeah. Do each of you have a sort of favorite look from your respective positions? Maybe it's something that was a challenge that you were really excited to to actually take on or something when you, you sat down, you're in the premiere, you're watching the film, you go, damn, that looks good. Camille? <laughs> I'll be honest. I'm most proud of the talent Camille because... I think one thing that Black Panther, the first one did is, you know, it came out and like one journalist wrote, this was a love letter to black hair. So I wanted to, again, do a love letter to black hair, but it's great that we can, you know, take on the Mayan culture, the Latin culture, and open up a whole different culture, a culture that hasn't really been seen on camera. And, you know, it's so funny. The other day I had dinner with somebody who is a student of Mayan culture, and she was so excited to talk to me because she was like, you guys really did it right. Oh, nice. And that means the world to me. To sit next to her and she tell me that we did it right, that we made her culture, we made Latin culture proud. 
That's everything. And that's why we do these movies. And that's why we do it in such accuracy. And plus, I want to point out one other thing. All the stunt people that were used in this movie also were of Latin descent. From every detail, we really covered every detail. And all of those things are important to Marvel and us personally as artists. Love it. Joel, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to echo that. Certainly, when you're dealing with a culture and a heritage, you want to make sure that regardless of whether your makeup looks interesting, it's culturally accurate. You know, we had a Mayan specialist, Dr. Aldana, who would advise us on, you know, because certainly there's been other films that have dealt with the Mayan culture and maybe didn't get it as, as culturally accurate as they should have. We didn't want to go down that road. We didn't want to put something on camera just because it looked neat, you know, just because it was a fun makeup, at least for us. So I would run everything by Dr. Aldana, you know, from the hieroglyphics on the front of the rebreathers, you know, on their faces to the kind of jade that was used to the shapes that were used. All of that was run by him. And if if it was a look that I thought was fun, but couldn't be traced back, then, you know, it was out. It was very much the same thing that I had done on the different tribes of Wakanda on the first film, you know, which obviously carried over to this film. You know, if, if a look couldn't be traced back, then it was out, you know, because you want to respect the culture of the people that you're portraying. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, I would say all the makeups. I don't think there's a makeup in there that, that I wasn't <laughs> happy with. You know what I mean? Getting back to your question, you know, um, as for a favorite, I mean, I, I there were so many, I can't really call one out. It's wonderful. Well, congratulations again to both of you. And uh, thanks for everything you do. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Ryan. Thank you. Incredible stuff. Uh, we'll definitely be looking forward to the Oscars this year. And of course, go watch Black Panther Wakanda Forever. It's now streaming on Disney+. Plus. Honestly, the worlds that they create visually are just incredible. And the hair and makeup is such an important part of that. Hell yeah. All right. Now, next week, we are going to do a little bit more Black Panther Wakanda Forever behind the scenes chat for you. We're going to be talking about the VFX. But for our question of the week, we had a really fun one. Lorraine, what is our question of the week? In the spirit of Rogers the Musical coming to Disney Parks, what superhero do you think deserves their very own musical, a la Rogers the Musical? That's what I want to know. I feel like the worst would be Groot. <laughs> I am Groot. I am Groot. I am this whole <laughs> musical of nothing but I am Groot. Could be potentially ridiculous. Would love. Obviously, Dazzler deserves their own musical. That's just a given. Yeah, that would be super fun. Now, if anybody doesn't know, I feel like we should find a way to do an episode about it. There was almost a Captain America musical in real life in like 1985. If anybody doesn't know that, you can find a whole bunch of stuff about oh, it yeah. on the internet. It is, I really wish that had happened and we were so close to that being a reality. Thankfully, we have Rogers the Musical, which is just tremendous. For me, I I feel like a Wolverine like a somber Wolverine musical that, you know, you bring in a lot of really cool X-Men supporting characters. In the spirit characters. of Les Mis played by I mean, Hugh Jackman. Honestly, <laughs> you, you, you get a, like sort of like some rallying cries and some like sad, sad moments in there. Yeah. <laughs> you could do some really fun stuff with that. That would be pretty cool. I'm in 100%. Yeah. We, we'll take, um, but please Knucklehead, let us know. The Wolverine musical. 
Exclamation point. Oh my gosh. Um, I, starring James M. Eigelhart. <laughs> <laughs> James was, can literally be in everything and anything. Sure. He is, uh, we've been watching Super Kitties lately. And so he plays Mr. Puppy Pants on that show. And he's the like opening narrator. I'm just like, James, I just hear you all the time. But of course, please tell us what superhero deserves a musical. You can tweet us your answers using hashtag This Week in Marvel. Email them to twimpodcast at marvel.com. Or you can send us a message on our Facebook page. You can like it while you're there, facebook.com slash This Week in Marvel. And of course, make sure to tell us if it's okay to read on this show so we can read it on the show. Yeah. Uh, Lorraine, I had a thought that we should revise our community section to be called This Week in Messages. Oh, I like it. Yeah, so it's time for This Week in Messages, aka our community section, because last week, our question of the week was, what is your favorite moment from Marvel Studios' Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania? And before we dig in, spoilers mm. ahead. Yes. You have been warned, if you haven't seen the film, this might spoil something for you. You know now, you're a full-grown adult, probably. And if you're a child, well, you've also been warned. <laughs> First up, Gia at Gia the Pig said, my favorite moment from Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is when we knew Kang the Conqueror's backstory. It was so interesting, and I love the character. I know. I love the way that story unfurls, too. Mountain Meg at Meg Stalker says, this movie, y'all, what a wonderful, wild, and crazy ride. For the question of the week, my favorite moments were every single time Gentora and Cassie interacted. A ding, ding, delight. The moment where Cassie's like, oh, she's so cool uh, at Gentora. I was like, yes, I, for real. It was like such a great moment where you see this like young person seeing someone. They were like, I want to be her when I yes. grow up. Cool. 100%. Yeah. Rachel Ingersoll, MPH at Rachel Ingersoll said, one of my favorite parts of Ant-Man and the Wasp was seeing William Jackson Harper, a.k.a. Cheedy from The Good Place. Yeah. I completely forgot he was in this movie and freaked when I saw him. It's funny how similar his character in this movie is to The Good Place. It's so good. All right, we've got Richie at Jojo underscore Hobbit who says, My favorite moment was the probability storm. I loved seeing all the Scots working together toward the common goal of saving Cassie with Baskin Robin Scott, reminding our Scott of who he is at his core. Yes, that moment is really epic and so nice. Yeah. Also, that probability storm, if you want to see it, a version of that that happened in comics a couple years ago, the Ant-Man and the Wasp Lost and Found series, uh, written by Mark Wade, art by Javier Garon, who we just talked about this with Javier on Marvel's pull list, has a whole scene with the probabilities and multiple versions of, of Ant-Man and of Wasp in there. So neat. Yeah, love that. Coolis at Arta Nicholas said, Scott going all giant and telling Kang, we had a deal. That was probably the most furious Scott has ever been. Hell mm -hmm. yeah. Sneaky video star at Sneaky Michael said, my favorite moment from Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is during the post credit scene when we are introduced to... This is a spoiler, everyone. You've been warned. This is a big spoiler. If you haven't seen the movie, turn back now. Press forward. We are introduced to the Council of Kang's Yes, absolutely. I love this. It's so good. I'm so tickled by it. Yeah. There's some great artwork, too, from the old comics that shows the Council of Kings and the big sort of like gladiator coliseum structure they're in. Phenomenal. We have a, an article on Marvel.com about the Council of Kings, and it shows mm -hmm. that 
panel and there's the one sort of alien looking he might be badoon alien and he's like looking at the reader and at the screen like at the the viewer in the original comic and they put him in the movie and i like I lost it. I was like, they actually put that weird alien version of Kang (laughs) front and center. It was so cool. It was just a really, really great. Also great. All the emails y'all sent first. We have one from Joe Hoffman who said, hi, hope you're all doing well. My favorite part of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania was everything. I really enjoyed being able to spend some quality time with all the incredible characters that are in the film. And I truly enjoyed the ride all the way through the quantum realm. The part of the movie that made me the happiest was when Modok first appeared because I knew that somewhere out there, Ryan was smiling at seeing his favorite character on the big screen. With much love from your faithful friend and proud ambassador. Thank you, Joe. I was big smiles, big excitement, big happiness. So, yes, much appreciated. Next up, we got an email from Jim Radloff who said, Hey, all. I just got done watching Quantumania and I wanted to point out something I found funny. Scott says that he fought with Captain America and would never fight Captain America. Thanks to Sam Wilson taking up the shield, Captain America is the first superhero Scott ever did fight. Mm. Ooh, good trivia. You know what? That feels like that's a, uh, you get a little no prize for that one, yeah, right? Jim. I like that. Email from Carol, who said, My favorite moment from Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, not including the second post-credit scene, which I won't talk about, but was totally awesome, is the moment where Hope saves Scott from Kang, and then they just hold each other, and Scott says, I love you, Hope. And Hope replies, I love you, Scott. It was just such a tender, sweet moment between one of the MCU's greatest couples, and amidst all the chaos of Kang and MODOK and the battle that had just ensued, there was a sweet moment where we were reminded why both their names are in the title. You cannot have Ant-Man without the Wasp, and you cannot have the Wasp without Ant-Man. Great email, Carol. You know, I have to say, something that I really loved about from the very beginning of the film is seeing how their relationship has grown and how they're like a family now and getting to see Hope as a stepmom to Cassie and what a great relationship they're forging, I just think is really awesome to see mm-hmm. that that whole family dynamic like the scene where they're eating pizza and just that vibe i love mm-hmm. it I loved so it. good all right we got an email from jc who said hi ryan and lorraine i really enjoyed ant-man and the wasp quantum mania a lot and it's hard to choose a favorite part so i'm cheating and choosing the scene where scott splits into a bunch of clones including baskin robin scott and they form into an ant army to get the power source And the final fight between Ant-Man and King and Scott's mental breakdown upon realizing King is probably not dead and is most definitely coming back for revenge. All of this was pure gold, and I can't wait to see where King's plans continue. Keep on being amazing, you guys. Finally, we got an email from Heather and Fiona, who said, A few weeks ago, you mentioned the Ravensburger Villainous Games. They're so good. Fiona and I have an extensive collection. I'll be getting myself the Doc Ock box next time I'm at Target and the Venom box next time at my local gaming and comic store. Shout out to Atomic Empire in Durham, North Carolina. Sunday, we spent the day in our PJs playing the games. First, we played a Disney version where she, as Dr. Fossilier from Princess and the Frog, beat me as the Horned King from the Black Cauldron. Then I, as Modok, beat her as Loki. There's a bit of a learning curve for anyone not familiar with tabletop strategy games and a definite edge to be had when one is familiar with the comics. If you or any of the listeners are considering getting one or all, it is money well spent. Happy game time. Oh my god, we did it! We did it! This episode of This Week of Marvel is produced by Cara McGurk-Allison, Isabel Robertson, Lorraine Sink, and Ryan Panagos. 
Our Senior Manager of Audio Production and Development is Brad Barton. Jill DeBoff is our Director of Audio. Lorraine, I'm going to take the special thanks, and I'm oh, going to okay. say special thanks to everybody having a MODOK poster. Now go, let, I, I want all teenagers to have giant MODOK posters in their bedrooms. I want it to be like Teen Beat, where there's MODOK posters Like for you everyone. used to have Corey Haim up, but now they have a MODOK's butt. Yep. God. I think that's a little too saucy for anybody except me. I'm Ryan. Lorraine. This is Marvel. Your universe. <laughs>